four of our series, I'm going to sit down, okay? I'm going to sit down, and here's why. Because I can't, I can't get through this topic if I am my usual ADD self just jumping on all of these different tangents and running around. I need to focus because I am excited about today's message, and I'm excited about this topic, and I want to dive in. And so if you ever see me sitting down, it's to make sure I get through my notes. That's literally what it is. Like, oh, is he trying to be like artistic or something? Nope. Just trying to stay focused here, people, okay? Because I got a lot here, and, um, and I'm excited. Before I jump in, this is definitely a message I want to pray over, um, that God would help uh, to convey his truth through me in this moment to you, that we could walk out different, that we could walk out changed, and we could all learn something today. So whether you're online or you're here in the room, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for another opportunity to come into your house to worship you, but also to learn about you, God. I pray right now we would just uh, create an anticipation in our spirit of what you're about to teach us. Would you help us, um, Lord, just to create a higher expectation every Sunday of what we could learn, how we could grow. God, you're going to do something right now in the next 35 to 40 minutes. You're going to do it, Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. So we are in week four. Week one was an introduction, um, and then we talked week two. We did silence and solitude. Week three, anybody remember what we did last week? Worship, and um, both uh, after Silence and Solitude and Worship, we had great midweek uh, courses doing a deeper dive on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Again, you can't afford to do life alone. Come this Wednesday night, 7 p.m., and we're going to do a deeper dive on this topic as well. And, um, and I want to, I'm just going to jump in and let you know what the spiritual discipline is that we're covering today. We are going to talk about the Sabbath. We're going to talk about the Sabbath, and uh, it actually flows really well out of silence, solitude, and worship because those are obviously pieces that should be incorporated into your Sabbath. But I want to not just preach on the Sabbath. I don't just want to get us hyped up and stoked and excited and all revved up about Sabbath. Um, I want to actually help us understand what this means, what ultimately what's a biblical theology around Sabbath. We talked about that last week. I said the term biblical theology of worship. What does that mean? A biblical theology is saying, I don't just, I'm not just going to teach a verse. I'm going to try to help us to see how the topic of Sabbath operates through Genesis all the way through Revelation, through the entire canon of Scripture, and then how that applies to us. And so biblical theology is saying, hey, we're taking the full scope of this topic. We're not just going to hone in on one little layer. And if you know anything about Sabbath, that's hard to do because it's all through Scripture. So there's a lot to cover. So I am just going to scratch the surface. If you're a theologian in the place and you love your Bible and you love study, you're probably going to be a verse that you wish I would have said. Great. Then come on Wednesday and talk about it because we're going to deeper dive. So if there's anything you feel I missed, you can cover it at your roundtable Wednesday night. And for those of you guys who are visiting and you're newer to church, I believe um, even in a teaching moment like this, you're going to see something. You're going to see that God values your rest. In a world that does not value your rest, in a world that does not value your peace, um, it does not value your time away, we realize that God actually does. And if you've ever had a Christian experience that did not value your rest, and you felt like you were used and abused by a Christian circle, can I just, for, for that sake, can I even just say sorry? I'm sorry that happened, but that was not a representation of the gospel. It was actually a representation of maybe a, a, a person who got it wrong. But, but I believe um, we're going to find today that God 
values our rest. And I wonder, have you rested recently? Like, when was the last time, like, you really rested? And I don't mean sleep, okay? Because <laughs> let's be honest, how many of you have slept and woke up and you're like, I'm not even rested? That didn't even scratch the surface of what I need, um, you know? Or sometimes you just wake up more tired. Yesterday I took a nap and I woke up and I'm like, I don't know where, I think I was in a coma. I don't really know where I went, but I feel worse off for napping. You ever had that feeling where, like, sleep almost hurts? And I think our natural th- inclination at times is like, well, if I'm, if I'm tired, if I'm worn out, I'll just go sleep. Or I just need to hit snooze a couple more times. But the reality of rest is it's, it, it's, it's, there's way more depths to it than that. Rest doesn't always mean sleep. It doesn't even always just mean doing nothing. And, 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 and really rest by the, the English definition. This is very rarely do I, do I love an English definition of a word, but this one's really good. It says cease work or movement in order to relax, to refresh oneself, or to recover strength. I love the layers that's unpackaged there. It's not just, um, notice rest again, the definition, it's not sleep. It's ceasing something in order to do something else. It's a replacement. A rest is a replacement of one thing with something else. And if I'm being honest though, rest used to be my least favorite four-letter word in the entire English language, okay? And, uh, and it was a curse word to me, okay? Rest was just off the table. I'm like, why would I want to rest? I don't understand why I would want to rest. There's so many things I want to do. I only get one life, and I need to live it, right? And I wanted to attack life. And, and, um, and I'm, I mean, everything, whether you do Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, Enneagram, all of it, literally everything about my personality pushes me to workaholism everything. Like I am a picture perfect person where if, if, if I'm sitting down with a counselor, they're going to go, Hey, you better be careful. Cause you're going to work yourself to death. Like you are going to push the envelope. You're going to work, you're going to grind. And so this is coming from me, um, as something that I have, I maybe have worked harder at rest. It may not show, but I've worked harder at rest than just about anything else in my spiritual walk with the Lord, because this is hard for me. Why am I starting with silence and solitude, worship, and then rest? Because these are places that have been a challenge for me. These are things, right, like when we get to something like fasting, believe it or not, that makes a lot more sense to me because it's like, ooh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's something I can do. And uh, rest, though, speaks to something I'm ceasing. It's something I'm, I'm cutting away. And uh, this week I had the opportunity, it was 100% um, you know, I don't believe in coincidences in the kingdom of God. And as we were uh, grinding towards relaunch and Easter and uh, the hardest three months of work of my entire life, I got a phone call from a pastor who did a similar thing. And, uh, and he just said, hey, man, I, you know, I've just been praying and God put on my heart. I think you're supposed to come with me to this trip to Montana. I'm taking some different pastor friends and leaders and, 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 and we're going to we're, we're just going to fly fish and we're just going to rest. And I go, I don't need to know anything else. I'm just in. Just tell me where to fly into and at what time I'm there. I got to do this. And so uh, this week I I flew to Montana. I literally, even Renee was trying to do more research on the trip. And I actually told her, I don't really want to know details. I just want to show up and just do whatever it is that I'm supposed to do. And this whole environment was created to help cultivate rest. And I got to learn how to fly fish, which is really, really difficult. And I almost gave up. I was about 12 hours on the river watching everybody else catch a fish but me. And I hit a low point where I'm casting, and uh, the guide was like, yeah, I just cast. I was off the shore. We were fishing in a boat, off a boat. And I'm casting off the shore, and I'm casting off the shore. And, um, and all of a sudden, um, I'm casting, and the wind picks up. And as I back cast, 
the hook comes and pierces my earlobe. I mean, this thing goes all the way through. It pierces the back of my earlobe and the barbs. It's, I'm like tugging and I can't get this thing out. Like I'm pierced and I go, this is the dumbest sport anybody's ever invented. It sets up, it set people's up for failure and I'm just angry. You guys get angry when you get hurt? I don't get like, I'm not gonna cry. No, I'm too tough for that. I'm not gonna cry, but I'm gonna get angry. Why? Because I'm embarrassed, right? Like my pride is taking a hit. And this guy, um, like, like he's done this a thousand times. He goes, okay, now stretch the earlobe out on either side of the fish hook. So I stretch it out. And then he takes a fishing line. He goes, okay, now calm, breathe, breathe, Sam. I'm like, okay, I'll calm down a little bit. And he, lo- he literally loops this fishing line through the fish hook and, and then tears it out with the, fi- with the fishing line. And blood's just gushing down, you know. And in this moment, I'm going, this is, this is the worst sport anyone's ever invented. Um, but I regained my strength. I calmed down. And he's like, hey, maybe we should fish on the other side of the river and, and where there's less wind. I'm like, that sounds great. Let's go over there. And I fish over there, and I pull in my first fish. Come on. It was like a good 17-inch rainbow trout. Um, and all of a sudden, all the joy came back. And I was like, it's worth it. I'm a success. I got my picture for Instagram. But aside for... But aside for piercing my ear, uh, it was just this amazing time. And they had this phrase they said. They kept saying, they're like, this is a week where you need to do what you need, not what you want. You need to do what you need, not what you want. And this was interesting because at first I'm like, well, isn't there, like, isn't most of my life I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, not what I want to do. But then I started to really dive into the, the layers of that. Like for me, for example, my, who I am, I love a good adventure. I prefer an adventure over a nap. But a lot of times when I get stressed, I don't do anything close to adventuring. But three days into this trip, I'm just like, I get the spirit of adventure rise up in me. And I'm like, I need to go explore. <laughs> like, I'm going to go on a run. And I got crazy lost. And I think I ended up on the Indian Reservation, which is not a good place to be in Montana. And, uh, and I got completely lost. Ended up running a half marathon on accident. But it was exactly what I needed. What I wanted, actually, was a nap. But I all of a sudden got this sense of like, I don't think I need a nap. I think what I need to do is just go for a run. I think I need some exercise. I need to fill my spirit. And all of a sudden, that run led me to the edge of a river where I sat in God's presence, and I met, he met me there on the edge of that river. And all of a sudden, this phrase started to make sense to me. Do what I need, not just what I want. And it's interesting because when I do what I need, it often becomes what I want. All of a sudden on this run, once I got going, I'm like, this is exactly what I should be doing. When I got off on that adventure by myself and, and I felt lost, I love feeling lost. I'm like the only person in the world. I'm like, I'm lost. This is an adventure. It's good. And I felt that loss. I'm like, that's what I need. Have you ever felt this too? Maybe you're a gym goer and you don't want to go to the gym in the morning, but then when you show up, you're like, I needed to be at the gym today. And so much of our life, we sort of fall into these wrong cycles where we never quite do what we need. In fact, we don't even create the space to learn what we need. We don't even discover what that is. And here's the reality is that our culture is not celebrating do what you need right now. Our culture is celebrating work harder, work more, uh, create success, create something that can be celebrated. Um, the, the, this, this workaholism, you know, Japan is actually famous for workaholism. And, and I've, read, I've read articles for years about how people literally just collapse at their desk and they die. They have a word for it. They've actually created a, work for death, a word for death by overwork, kuroshi. They have a term for it. 
Want to know something interesting, though? That's the label we put on Japan, and yet Americans work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese. That we actually work 260 more hours than the British, and we work 499 more hours than the French. But that's not really a surprise. So it's like, yeah. In America, uh, we, we, are, we work more hours per week than any other country in the world. What are we celebrating? What are we cheering on? And in fact, we've seen a continual rise in suicide rates. In fact, there's a lot of suicides in America that are starting to be traced back to workaholism, stress level, just so stressed, so worn out, so fatigued, not seeing a way out. There's even been a rise in, in pastors committing suicide due to an increased amount of stress around their work. 45,000 plus people are committing suicide every single year in America. There is a rise in our stress level. There's a rise in our pace. There's a rise in, in the speed of everything. It's almost a mark of pride now to not take vacation. You've ever had someone brag on how little vacation they've taken? I hear it all the time. <sighs> I didn't even get through six days of vacation this year. Like, what are we talking about here? It, it's, it's a brag. It's, it's a mark of pride to work well beyond. I, I've bragged about this so much. Like, psh, I worked 70 hours this week. <laughs> it's only paid for 40. I put in 70. What's up? And it's like this mark of like, look at how effective I am. Look at how strong I am. Look at how gifted I am. Look at my pace. Look at my speed. Look at what I can accomplish. When was the last time you heard someone truly brag about doing nothing? Brag about resting. Brag about their rhythms. Brag about the healthy pace to their life. No, no, we, we want to idolize workaholism. We want to work, 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 and keep moving forward. Some of you guys might be like, well, didn't COVID balance this out? Like, we all slowed down during COVID, right? We all slowed down. Well, have you looked at the stats? Work from home during COVID and those who are still working from home did not lead to less hours of work. In fact, nearly 70% of professionals who transitioned to remote work because of the pandemic say they now work on the weekends. <laughs> Woo! 70% have now started to log hours on their days off if they work from home. And 45% say they regularly work more hours during the week than they did before. That's according to a survey by Robert Half, a Los Angeles-based staffing firm. We've placed a, a greater value on being busy than resting. We, we, we celebrate busyness. We celebrate speed. We celebrate all of these things. And this is against the very nature of how God actually created not just Christianity, but the universe. Did you actually know that the whole world, regardless of religion, operates in a seven-day span of time? We all operate on that same calendar. There's been many tests and things where people have tried to move to 10-day weeks and all this stuff, and it's always led to chaos because the universe itself has been set in motion on a seven-day period. We see this right in the creation narrative. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So God just did this amazing work. He created the world, and it said that on the seventh day, God rests. That's the section title here. In verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, 
God rested from all his work. Don't you love how many times it says rested there? <laughs> and that rested there in the Hebrew, the original Hebrew would have been Shabbat. It was a ceasing of his work. It was a Sabbath. He's taking a Sabbath. He rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You see, when you, uh, I love this quote by H.H. H. Farmer. When you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. The grain of the universe operates within seven days. There is seven days, six days of work, a day of rest. There is this need for a Sabbath. And so God established, again, Shabbat, a Sabbath. It means to stop. It means to stop. And many uh, scholars actually believe that the verbiage, though, of Genesis 2, 2, 1 through 3, and I studied this extensively, and I found this to be so interesting. Notice this. Uh, uh, the, there, there's other versions that don't quite... Uh, that, that would maybe stray away from this verbiage because it sounds confusing in the English language. But actually the ESV, what I just read out of, is actually very close to what the Hebrew would have meant. And it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. Did you notice this? And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. Essentially saying that God was still establishing even on the Sabbath. So the question has been, what was he establishing? Like, what was he putting into place? If he was finishing his work that he had done, the full finished work of, of that God was building, he was actually establishing something on the Sabbath. Which means it's not just Shabbat, that there's got to be more than that. It's not just a day to stop working. It's not just a day, let me put it in our terms, it's not just a day to clock out. Right? You, you, you essentially Shabbat every time you clock out from work. But there's more to what God was establishing within the rhythms of universe. And, and there's actually another word, uh, Hebrew word, that is, is, is shared for the first time in Genesis chapter 2 as well, but in verse 15. And, and, and if you translate it literally, Genesis 2, 15 says, Then the Lord took the human, after creating Adam, and rested him. Hebrew word here is nuach. Rested him into the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, so God creates everything. He creates the garden, and he establishes something on the, on the Sabbath. He establishes this day of rest, and then he takes his creation, and he rested him into the garden. He nuoked him into the garden. And this word, nuoch, doesn't just mean to stop. It means to dwell, to rest, and to abide with. To dwell, to rest, and to abide with. See, Shabbat is about clocking out from work, but the fullness of a Sabbath means that there is nuach, which is about clocking in with God. Because we understand that in the garden, God would walk in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. He would rest with them. It wasn't just that they ceased working, they actually did something. They experienced something together. They shared something together. And if you don't know much of the Bible is actually a story of how we're trying to get back to the garden. We're trying to get back to where creation was before it was perverted by sin. We're trying to get back to this place of Nuach. We're trying to get back to this. And so then we see, right, the fall of man begins to happen, and, and we know in Exodus that, that the Sabbath was established as more of a religious observation, that you must do nothing and the Israelites got to this place where it was a day to focus more on what they weren't doing than what they were doing. And, and we do this sometimes. We focus on the wrong piece of what God is trying to teach us. 
So then we, we read in the narrative of Scripture that Sabbath all of a sudden starts to become this burden, and, and it actually becomes twisted. But the heart that God established for us is he's saying, hey, I need time. I need a percentage of your time to just be with me, to, to, to rest with me, to abide with me. And there's, it, it's not just doing nothing. It's actually being intentional. So just clocking out of work, it's not a true Sabbath in my opinion. This is my opinion. But, you know, Pastor Sam, how does that, how does that translate to 2021? Like, it's a busy world. Like, we got things to do. We got places to go. We got people to see. There's a lot of pressures, a lot of things I want to accomplish. You know, even, yeah, that's cool. That's Old Testament, Sam. But how does that relate to Jesus, though? Like, how does that relate to my relationship with Jesus now? And another great parallel, again, I'm trying to help build a, a biblical theology of Sabbath. There's actually something really, really interesting. Um, and how many of you guys know Noah? Anybody know Noah of the Old Testament? Do you know what he built, right? Sunday school, come on, what did Noah build? And our great job, front row right here. You guys must have gone to Bible school. You guys, man, you got that biblical education. It's working for you. Let's go. So Noah, you want to know what's interesting? If I say Noah, say we immediately think he built an ark. You want to know what Noah's name means? It means rest. Why would the man who's known for building be named rest? And if you think that stuff doesn't matter in Scripture, then, then you need to learn some Scripture. You need to read because it's so cool how much it matters. It's so cool how much it matters. And there's this really important part of the story of Noah. He builds this ark. It takes him decades and decades, and he builds this ark man known for work is named rest and this moment happens that when the entire earth gets flooded the ark rises to the top and then the waters begin to recede and Noah is looking for a resting place for his boat he's looking for a place that they can rest that they can find rest they've been on the seas they've been tossed back and forth they've been trying to survive it so what does he do he sends out a dove and this dove first comes back with an olive branch and then he sends him out again. And then he knows that when the dove does not return, that the dove found a resting place. And that it was a promise that, there, that the waters were receding and they too would find a resting place. And another incredible thing that I'd love to dive deeper into and we probably will on Wednesday is that the, the flood actually is a, is a picture of baptism. The whole, earth, the whole earth had become so corrupt that it was washed with water and it was made clean. In the same way, uh, we have God's promise that he'll never flood the earth again, but we actually get to be water baptized. And we're doing water baptisms on May 23rd. Uh, are, is registration live for that, Alex, or no? It will be. So by next week, we're going to have that live. You'll be able to text Artisan to 94,000 and just register. And at the end of the day, if you didn't register, just we can, we can dunk you in a tank. It's going to be outside. It'll be cool. We'll let people walk up and get baptized because we believe in this. We believe in saying, hey, when you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the mark of that is to say, hey, I'm going to be baptized because when you go fully under the water, it signifies, hey, you were completely washed, just like the flood washed the earth. Well, what, when is another time where we see a dove in Scripture? It's at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes under in the representation of this water baptism, he comes up and what happens? The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, descends on him in the form of a dove. The dove, which was a mark of finding rest through Noah, descended upon Jesus, the ultimate bringer of our rest, and declared, hey, now your rest is found in him. Your rest is no longer found in the religion of Sabbath. Your rest is found in the presence of your Savior. 
And it was a shift. And it was a change. And, and, and we can't miss these signifiers of what happens. So 100% rest goes from the Old Testament and connects right to the New Testament. And, and in fact, um, yeah, but did Jesus talk about it? Of course he talked about it. Come on, people. And in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, we can turn there right now. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 says this, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So this is, he's, Jesus is ministering, he's got his team, he's going around, he's preaching. He went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to, uh, and, and to eat them. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. How dare they pluck a grain of head, or uh, this, this grain, how dare they pluck that? He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. What is Jesus doing? He's breaking down constructs that they understood, and he's establishing something new here. This is a big moment. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. He's talking about himself. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here he's decreeing, I am now taking over my mercy. My mercy is taking over this Sabbath. My, 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 my grace will be sufficient for you. It'll bring rest to your soul, and I value rest in your life. He's Lord of the Sabbath, so does that mean we don't need it? We just throw it out? See, and this is the tension that a lot of people face. I'm just being honest with you between Old Testament things and New Testament things. But one thing we see consistently is that Jesus takes Old Testament principles, and he just ups the ante, right? Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. And Jesus says, don't even look lustfully at a woman, right? He ups the ante. He, he begins to reestablish a healthier way. And he does this with rest because just earlier on, the author of Matthew here in chapter 11, the chapter before, verse 28 through 30, and I've read this passage before and I've shared from it because it's really, really powerful. And this is one of the few times I love, I just think the message paraphrase got this right when it, when it uh, connects to the, the, the Sabbath. I want to read this. He said this just before, just before he talks about Jesus teaching on the Sabbath, which again, not a coincidence. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. See, intentionally there, I believe Eugene Peterson put these words in, walk with me and work with me. There's, there is a connection. It is not just a stopping it is a living. There's so much more to do. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We're going to get back to rhythm. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You see, the law of the Sabbath had come up short. It only carried one piece to the puzzle of rest because it, it, it discovered the power of a Shabbat, Ceasing working, that's good, but it didn't under, uncover the fullness of the new walk. People were missing the fact of being with God, spending time in his presence, being restored, finding rest in his presence, finding rest with him. And um, a pastor who does a lot on spiritual disciplines and helped inspire 
this series, John Mark Comer out of Portland, he said this, this was his definition for Sabbath. I'm going to read it out carefully because I don't think it's on the screen. He said this, the Sabbath is an entire day set aside to follow God's example, stop, and delight in his world, in your life in it, and above all, in God himself. Let me read it again. The Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside to follow God's example, to stop, right? God stopped. He stopped. He took in. He said it was good. He enjoyed it. And delight in God's world. You don't think God wants you to delight in his creation? I love that he used the word delight here. Here's why. Delight means to have exceeding pleasure. But I don't think Christians like the word pleasure. We're like, that sounds naughty, Pastor Sam. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Are we allowed to find pleasure? And yet we have a God who took pleasure in his creation. We have a God who took pleasure and t- sat back and enjoyed. You ever worked really hard on something? One of the beautiful things, Renee and I are so passionate about working on our house. Why? Because we like to sit back at the end of the day and look at it and just enjoy it and just take it in. We're like, wow, look, we, you know, we just take in the projects we did. And, and God wants there to be delight in your life. Uh, if we push off this message of Christianity being like, yeah, all enjoyment ceases. Just wait. Whoo! You're going to find no pleasure anymore. It's just misery all the time because Christians are just meant to only be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted, you should go find some. You should find someone that you can call your persecutor so you can be a victim because we just need to be that. Christians are just <laughs> so bad for me. And yet the reality of Scripture is that there is pleasure to be found. There is delighting with our Savior. There is delighting in His creation. There is an enjoyment. There is an enjoyment that is to be found. Right? And, and, and so the reality is, I love this, that we delight in His world. In our life in it, take time to realize our part in God's creation, our part in His story. Another thing Renee and I do all the time is we try to actually, like, I realize what's happening. Like, hey, let's not miss this. Like, our kids are only, like, last night, our kids were playing together, all three of them in our yard. And it was just this cute moment. We go, let's look at this. This is a cool moment. Look at our life in this creation. Look at our life here in our backyard, how cool this is. And above all, in God himself. God needs to be a part of it. God needs to be a part of it. And that's where a lot of people get confused with pleasure because human nature wants to take pleasure and push it. We want to pervert it. And, um, and, and we, we don't want to do it in moderation. We want to just do it all the time. And so we think that it's always going to be sin. But sin is just a perverted state of God's perfect creation. So you can take anything perverted and make it sin. Anything beautiful, anything you could take pleasure in, you could pervert it. You could do it too often, too much of it, um, and, and go all out or put it in its wrong place, put it, put it in a, a place it doesn't belong. And so we can get that wrong, obviously, but the reality is that we are to delight. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on the things that bring delight. Think about the things on your Sabbath that, that really showcase God's wonder, God's glory, and nuak with God. Walk with him. Learn his unforced rhythms of grace. You see, everyone fights for balance when they should be developing a sense of rhythm. I hear this all the time. 
Well, how do you balance, you know, especially in church world, this is our favorite question in every conference I've ever gone to. Well, how do you balance ministry and family? Well, if you're talking about balance, it means you put two things at odds that were never meant to be. So now I put them on other opposite ends of the seesaw. And it's not a seesaw. My life's not a seesaw. Serving Jesus is not a seesaw. It's a beat. It's a beat. There's a rhythm. I need to discover the rhythm. What's the rhythm? Well, right now, right this week, my, my drum was beating for silence and solitude. Right? This next week, because I did that, how many of you know I got to be real intentional with the kids because I was away from the kids? So my drum's going to beat for the kids. And then there's going to be a, a week, right, probably coming up on Mayfest, my drum's going to beat for the church. And it's going to be a tr beat for that event. We need to find the rhythm. Who needs your attention today? What needs your focus today? It's not putting things at odds and going, well, family only fits in this bucket and my job only fits in this bucket. You see, now you, you learned how to clock in and you learned how to clock out, but you may, not, you may struggle with the rhythm of serving God, the rhythm of your life and what it means to actually Sabbath with him. Maybe you shouldn't be fighting so much for a balance that you'll never find, but you should learn to develop a rhythm unforced rhythms of grace. And remember that the seven-day rhythm to life is built into the creation narrative, and it's unavoidable, and the entire planet submits to it. We have to submit to this. And church, I'm going to encourage us and challenge us as we wrap up and the keys come on up to actually submit to working hard at a Sabbath. And, and you, could, you could argue, I think somebody could take the Bible and argue that well, you know, it doesn't have to be this day or this. You, you, let's not go down that track because let's follow the example of God. He said, I'm going to take a day and I'm going to rest. I'm going to build this into the creation narrative. So yes, you can, you could argue that you could Sabbath when you clock out from work, but there's something about a whole day that's set aside for God, set aside for rest, set aside for your family, set aside for things that bring that, that, that delight, that enjoyment. See, the Old Testament meant we would just have to basically sit there and do nothing. But I believe the New Testament looks a lot like the garden. And it says, hey, we're, we're doing stuff together. We're enjoying it. What brings rest? What brings delight? What brings fulfillment? What are things that you can do with your family, with, with yourself, that, that, that God's a part of, where you just discover him in that? Enjoy some really good food on your Sabbath day. Don't fast on your Sabbath day. I'm serious. I don't think you should fast on your Sabbath day. That's a day to enjoy. You could argue with me if you want to. Enjoy some things. Enjoy some things. Discover things. Try things. Create space to actually learn what you need. Learn what you need. Learn the rhythms that you need in your life. Some of the dysfunction that we find is because we just don't stop. Well, Pastor Sam, I've got tiny kids. We do too. We do too. But we found that when we create enough space where we're not so rushed with them, we learn to enjoy them more. And all of a sudden, they're not such a drain on us, energy sapping, but we're having a blast. And we're laughing and we're giggling and we're having a great time. And typically on our Sabbath day, the kids go to bed a little earlier. <laughs> Just being honest, we get our time, right? Create space. You know, and I find... And when we can discover these things, and this is coming from a place of, I'm, we are growing in this. Just the last Friday, we've both had so many times where we're like, you're working. Stop texting them. Stop, stop talking. No, this is Sabbath. That's going to bring you to a mental place you're not going to get out of. It's fragile. Sabbaths are fragile. And now we have so many ways that people can access us. You've got to work hard on this. I'm just going to give you three thoughts here. And again, these are the three thoughts that we're really going to dig into on Wednesday. 
So I'm going to rush through them, but we're going to deep dive onto them. I really think that Sabbath is going to be found through consistent rhythms, not extreme reactions. Um, one of the pastors on the trip said this. I would say he was the healthiest person on that trip, if I'm just being honest. So it was like all around, you just like, wow, why are you so healthy? And he said this. He goes, for a lot of you guys, you kept saying, we do table talks at the end of the night with all these senior pastors. He said, a lot of you guys are saying how desperately you needed this. He goes, can I challenge you that that might be a problem? That if you got to a place of needing this so badly, that the issue isn't that you needed to come here, it's that you were doing something wrong before you got here. He goes, I came full, so I'm having more fun than you. <laughs> He's like, I'm just having more fun. He's the oldest guy there. He was the first on the river, the last one off. He's up late, up early, had all the energy in the world. Why? Because he learned the rhythms to rest. And I was like, man, that's the kind of pastor I want to be. Because you're 55 and you're still vibrant in energy. And it's like, wow, I want to be like that. Consistent rhythms, not these cons uh, extreme reactions to mismanaging your life. If you're constantly feeling desperate for rest, your rhythm's off. That's a good tell. I'm always tired. Your rhythm might be off. God's not only found in monumental days, but he's also found in ordinary moments. Create space in the ordinary moments. Allow him in. Let him delight in his creation with you. Let him delight in your kids with you. Let him delight in your house with you. Let him delight in your yard being the best yard in the neighborhood with you. Like whatever your thing is, let him delight in that with you. Include God in your favorite things because he made it for you. He made it for you. Second thing I want you to think about this week is Sabbath isn't just stopping your work. It's actually starting something with God. Again, Nuwak helped guide Adam and Eve on the work that they were called to, but it also had boundaries, right? The garden had boundaries. Hey, don't eat that, but do this. There was do's and don'ts. Ah, you know, I just believe in relation. I, I talked about this the first day. I just believe in relationship. We, we don't believe in religion. We don't believe in do's and don'ts. That's the message I keep hearing. There was do's and don'ts in the garden when everything was perfect, okay? There's going to be do's and don'ts. Like, get over it. There's things you should do, and there are things you shouldn't do. Trust it. Trust is not because God's legalistic. It's because he loves you. There's things, but I actually think that that nuach helped guide them to what they were called to and what they were supposed to stay away from. It created those healthy boundaries. I think part of you guys, so many times, the number one conversation as a pastor is, Pastor, what am I supposed to do with my life? Constantly. And it's not an age thing. Oh, you're talking about college kids. No, 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 no. The amount of 30, 40, and 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, they're still trying to figure out, what am I purpose to do? What, what, what's, what's, what am I supposed to be doing right now? That is a common conversation. I would argue that maybe you might discover some of those things through a good Sabbath, through actually learning to live freely and lightly. Freely and lightly. Third thing I want you to remember, Sabbath is a day, uh, a day set aside to delight. And I talked about delight for a while. This is not a day to, oh, I guess I got, no. Find ways to delight in your everyday life. Find ways to create space in this day. When you realize that God created all that is good and that he delights in it, you realize that pleasure is okay. Maintaining the discipline of Sabbath reminds us that we are not slaves. We are sons and we are daughters. I am not a slave to God. I was a slave to sin and he set me free and made me a son. And so a son, I want to create moments for my son and my daughter to enjoy. And I love watching them delight, right? We're, right now we're, we're saving up some money so we can buy them a trampoline. 
When I set up that trampoline, I'm going to delight in their enjoyment of it. I'm going to watch them enjoy that trampoline, right? I want to do that for them in the same way God wants to be a part of those things. So stop only seeing God in the, the moments where you, where you it's, it's, it's just silence, solitude, just worship. No, no, he wants to enjoy some things with you. He wants some nuach with you. He wants you to abide with him. Amen, church? Amen. Well, let me, let me pray. And before I do, uh, prayer teams, I want you guys come on down. And I actually feel this strongly, I think, right now as we close, um, that some of you guys, this is a convicting and challenging message. Your pace is off. Your rhythm is way off. Um, I would say this, come and get some prayer. Actually include the Holy Spirit in that. And, and the discipline of creating a day that you would call Sabbath. Uh, if you're married, you can't do this. Only one of you can't be on board. Both of you has to be on board. Hey, what day is it? Is it Saturday? Who cool, are Saturday? Honestly, I think in American culture, Saturday is a great day for Sabbath. It's a great day. It's a great day. A lot of you guys serve the church on Sunday. You're coming and do that. Saturday is a great day for Sabbath. For Renee and I, our schedule, because I work the weekends, Friday is our Sabbath. If you ever text me on a Friday, you will not hear back. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's my Sabbath. I sure turn my phone off. I shut things down. We, we disconnect from certain things, and we engage in other ones to try to get healthy. And if I'm being honest, we are still a work in progress at this because it's hard. It's not easy, but the reward is worth it, church. So I'm going to pray for you. Uh, won't you stand up as I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for our church. Thank you for this moment to discover. Jesus, your heart for rest, how you became the embodiment of rest that we see in the canon of Scripture, that you, Jesus, created space that we can abide with God again. We can walk in the cool of the evening with God again. We can have a Sabbath. We can, we can set aside a day and we can make it holy, Jesus. So, Lord, help us to have that discipline. Help us to work hard at that rest. God, for the married couples in here, God, I pray that you would help them to work, keep each other accountable, to set aside that time, to delight in each other, to delight in their children, to delight in their hobbies and the things that they would do. God, I feel actually led right now by your Holy Spirit. I pray for couples here to find shared interests on their Sabbath day, that maybe they're the couples that they think that all of their hobbies and interests are different. God, would you show them a new adventure, just a new awesome thing that they could do together and enjoy, and that their Sabbath would be a blessing to their marriage, Lord Jesus. I pray for some fun this week on everyone's Sabbath as we do this, God, as we delight and enjoy your creation and our part in it. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father, and it's to you we pray. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. Hey,